0: This is Happiness Solved with America's Happiness Coach, Sandy Scarlatta.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I am so thrilled you're here. I am Sandy Scarlatta, America's happiness coach, author of Happiness Solved. I'm a retired U.S. national and international figure skating coach. I've been a certified life coach since 2004, and I've been inspiring others to shift their mindset and choose happiness for over 20 years. If you have any questions you would like answered on this podcast or just in general, please email me at sandy at com. Or visits www.sandyscarlotta.com to schedule a free call. Thank you for listening today, and I hope you enjoy it. Today's guest is Don Schminica. Don is the author of the best-selling book The Code of Executive, and has been featured in the Wall Street Journal and USA Today. He is an award-winning speaker, researcher founder of the Saga Leadership Institute, and has delivered over 1,700 speeches. This is such a great interview, and I hope you enjoy it. Don, hello. It's so great to see you. How are you doing today?
0: Great, thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, you're welcome. And, And, you know, life happens when we're busy making other plans, and I'm just like... I love that I've gotten to a point in my life where I can just like, ha, huh, and not worry about it when we have technical difficulties. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> yes, of course. So you're
1: from Baltimore. I'm outside of D.C. And I was telling you before that I grew up in the uh, D.C. metro area. I've been here my entire life. Uh, grew right. up outside of Baltimore, in Baltimore, outside of Baltimore. But yeah, I, I love that part of the world. It's so a, even though you're so close to me.
0: Good. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah,
1: area. it is. It's great. And the Inner Harbor, I remember when I was a kid doing some sort of walkathon, and we went through, and this was in the seventies and we were walking through the Inner Harbor and it was like this scary place. And yeah. I didn't go back until I was in my mid twenties. And it's just like the most amazing place on the yeah. East coast. It's just beautiful down there.
0: Yeah. Big tourist attraction, you know, all the big hotels are here. So it's kind of, it's been good. They, they, they rent a Renaissance city, you know, Boston yeah. and Baltimore were kind of inspired by the same architectural designs and, and, uh, and company.
1: Wow. I, I did not know that. Yeah. So Don, everybody has a story, you know, how we got to where we are today. So what is your story? How did you get to do what you're doing today? Cause you're doing so many amazing things.
0: Uh, it was, uh, uh, I never meant to be here. I, I, was a planetary physicist at MIT. That's what I was studying. And then I did work in the electrical engineering and AI areas, uh, worked in a, a lab for the government for uh nuclear Trident missile program. And then I ended up, um, this is like 30 years ago. No, more than that. <laughs> and, um, got into medical research and then started studying humans. And that's what took me to Johns Hopkins. And at, at Johns Hopkins, I ended up uh, doing my graduate work there and got involved with the executive development program, you know, the MBA program. And that's what led some fascination uh, for, you know, theories and, and and the failure rates of these theories. And so we began studying that. And that's when I started publishing. And um, then speaking. And that's what I do a lot of. I do a lot of speaking, uh, to, uh, companies and associations, uh, on the research we're doing.
1: And you've been doing that for a very, very long time. Yeah. So, so your your approach is all about the research, the science behind leadership, is it?
0: Yeah. Basically strategic performance uh, of organizations, you know, and, and, and teams. And so, a lot of our work is uh, like we'll go into a company and and uh, try to drive sales up two to three times, sometimes ten times, depending on the situation, uh, or some performance measures that the CEO wants improved. But we do it using uh, some anthropological, evolutionary psychology, you know, genetics, uh, those kind of techniques, because the models we developed and tested. I've kind of tested these in maybe uh, 30,000 CEOs. I've been trained in this over the years and I uh, train about 700 a year now in these methods. So I get, get a lot of evidence-based application of these models.
1: <laughs> so can you share one model that you can you know use an example of how that has helped you know, leadership improve not only their performance, but their, their company's performance?
0: Yeah, a lot of uh, the high failure rates of things like strategic planning and culture change programs and, and leadership development has to do with uh, one of the things we found out was tool seduction. It was actually in uh, one of my later books called High Altitude Leadership, in which case I was doing this with Chris Warner, who's a, who's a top rescue climber, and um, and for an NBC program we were we actually did this book live as he did K two, and we found out that like one of the the parallels is that dead climbers as he was pulling dead people off of mountains, they were clutching their tools. And I said, you know what? A lot of dead companies do that too. So what I mean by tools is we have a lot of, um, things like, you know, what do I do to achieve better results and how do I do it? So I need goals and metrics and we've got all these models around that. And then, and and the house stuff is doing the right process. So we have a lot of, um, process and systems and, you know, you know, trainings around, uh, how to get better results, but the failure rates high because we found out that human decisions were not changing. In other words, that humans, unless you alter how their decisions are expressed, it really becomes a waste of time because that's the whole point. Human decision has to shift. Human behavior has to shift. And a lot of these, these tools, these best-selling books and theories out there didn't really uh, address the total shift. It was more like content, you know, more content, like what's the latest theory, what's the latest model. And, uh, but when it came to implementation, it didn't work, you know? It, and so that's why the failure rates we found it were so high. There was nothing wrong with the theories and their models. It was just that people were just throwing books and Ted talks and training programs at the problem, but it wasn't, it wasn't altering their behavior. And when we began altering behavior by uh, altering their beliefs that changed everything. So for the past 30, some years, we've been uh, researching and applying how do you alter human belief?
1: And what have you found? It works. How can you alter (laughs) human belief? I mean, I, I have my methods, but I'm curious as to what some of your research has uncovered. And if there's any parallels there.
0: (laughs) Sure. Um, You know, one of the models that we're currently using is first and from a business point of view, you have to change how strategy is done because uh, strategic planning is mainly done analytically, you know, SWOT analysis, market analysis and all this. But there's a reason that small companies will start up in an industry, violate all expert opinion, violate the thought leaders, violate the management consultants and end up dominating their industry. We were curious, like how does a company startup violate what all the experts say and dominate their industry? And it was because of a belief shift around what they were doing. In other words, they were in a different business. They were were using intuition as a way to maneuver the competition. And, And intuition, I rarely see that in any strategic business plan. And so, you know, I see a lot of analysis, but I'm in, not intuition. So, we, so when we did that, we began to see, you know, a new way of doing strategy and invoking intuition. And that's why we've had clients grow five, 10 times their size in just a few years. So that's, that's you know, one example, um, you know, another example is like mission statements and, and purpose statements and visions and why statements and all that. You see them all over the walls, but you don't see it driving the performance of people. And we found out why that was happening because the belief shift wasn't occurring. So, so experientially, we used we stole something from, from the Vikings, and we have something called a compelling saga. You know, something that would drive passion for a result so high that they'd be willing to suffer and sacrifice together because they need each other. A whole different way of approaching it. So those are kind of like the tools that we use and it totally it radically changes and sometimes violates expert opinion, but it works.
1: Wow. That's really interesting. So let's talk about your book.
0: Yeah. Which one? Code
1: of Executive.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was my first one back in the 90s. Oxford University gave me permission to have copyright on um, a 700-year-old management training program. And so and was based on the samurai. So it was how they would train their leaders 700 years ago. And I found it fascinating because I was really trying to understand like what's, what's biological, what's part of our species, because leadership from a cellular level should be, um, the pattern should be recognizable over thousands of years. And so I wanted to find that because if we find that, then we can blow through all these flavor of the month, you know, best-selling theories that only last a few years, and have something that has a lot more traction, a lot more staying power. And so that's so. I was fascinated by that. So Oxford gave me permission for, and it was great because um, I got to see what they were doing. And so that's when I published uh, the Code of the Executive. And I was expecting it just to be a minor academic source that I'd use in my courses at, at Johns Hopkins, but it ended up taking off in like I don't know, a dozen languages and. And then a lot of um, people started calling and asked me to speak on it. And that's how things started going at that point.
1: <laughs> well, isn't that what every author wants? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Is for their
1: book to get out there and like phone starts ringing and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, congratulations for, to you for that actually happening because for Thank most you. of us, myself including, it doesn't work that way. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I wasn't expecting anything. I was just looking at at it as an academic, and so I was surprised. But uh, here I am, right? I'm in my studio. We're doing, we're still doing research. We self fund all of our research, and we spend a lot of time going around the around the world to remote regions and uh, interviewing and filming different uh, societies and uh, and learning something.
1: That's incredible! Wow, what what amaz- amazing work you're doing! So. Let's go back to the CEOs because you've interviewed a lot of CEOs or you've worked with a lot of CEOs. Is there any common theme that you found between CEOs? Like anything that you could say, okay, this is a common thing theme that most CEOs deal with. And here's how you need to overcome that.
0: No, I think um, most of the, most of what you find is, is CEOs are on a journey themselves. And a lot of it's different. I mean, everybody says, well, here's what it takes to be a CEO or here's a common pattern. Like, not really. I mean, like how many CEOs do you hang out with? You know, I mean, their, their, their personalities, their, their, um, life purposes, their, um, their motivations. I mean, a lot of it's different because these are, these are regular people know what they, what they do well is they've been able to organize around something. You know, and a lot of them are entrepreneurs, which started from nothing and created it. So that segment of CEOs that are entrepreneurs, they they do have some commonalities in terms of the ability to take risk in, naturally as part of their, their being. But then you have another segment of CEOs that are more like professional operators. You know, they'll come in and uh, run a company or turn it around or, you know, take it to the next level. And that's a whole different set of, uh, of patterns, if you would think about it that way. Um, and then you have, you know, other CEOs that are more, um, generally financially oriented. They're looking at M and a, they're looking at, you know, building portfolios. They, you know, so I don't think there is a common pattern, but I think there are, there are segments where they may may be common, um, you know, behaviors.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's fair. So, you're the successful entrepreneur yourself, very, very much, you know, acclaimed author. You're doing so many amazing things. What do you do to stay grounded and find that peace and happiness for yourself?
0: <laughs> I just, I just le- left CrossFit about 30 minutes ago. So oh, um, yeah, So I, uh, I, I like to uh, kick the crap out of myself every day. So that helps uh, keep me somewhat grounded. Um, with a crossfit yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: i've never tried it because of that <laughs> yeah.
0: it's like whatever you get on your mind you're going to forget about it really quickly and just try to survive <laughs> um i love i love traveling i mean i love visiting and learning so for me learning is exciting and so when i'm in an environment where i'm able to learn something it's uh very energizing and it just lets me be because it lets me be a teacher later on, right? Because I can teach what I'm learning. And that's my whole focus is learn and teach. Um, the yeah, so it's 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 an interesting question because uh, pursuing happiness is um, I think it's a matter of being centered that the work you're doing, if you look at it from a career or work point of view, uh, meets that purpose of your life.
1: Yeah, well, that's absolutely true. And you know what? I live my life as as long as you have something that makes sense to you, that's all that matters and whatever works for you. You're right. So tell me, what is the best advice you've ever received?
0: <laughs> um, that's interesting. I guess, um, how to die.
1: How to die?
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it came okay. out of the samurai work. I mean, okay. uh, and when we transform executive teams, it's like when we teach them to die properly, their performance goes up dramatically. And um, neurologically, we find it's related to the purpose of the, of the ego, which is a very positive purpose. People think about it negatively, but selfish strategies, selfish egotistical strategies were... Designed in us for succeeding in genetic warfare. None of this is published in any any business programs I mean, it's just but it but it is known in the uh, anthropological and evolutionary programs. so um, the the death thing which I thought was somewhat shocking when I first read how the samurai applied it Was really around death of the ego what they call the evil spirit and so when I got into how to die properly I began to see that this philosophy existed around the world. I mean, you know, the Buddhist uh, thousand deaths, uh, concept because to grow, something has to die. You know, something we believed in earlier or we got attached to, or we think is so valuable. And then all of a sudden, we realized, geez, if that dies, I'm free. And so, a lot of what what i was doing and then i still do with uh, workshops because i have an online thing called becoming samurai and it's an online course and people get to look at their fears they get they look at what they're attached to and then we work on death we work on how to die properly and what is it that has to die and when i've done this live in the workshops it's really interesting because people have come up to me like a year later and said you know that workshop changed my life I'm like, well, what was it about? It says because I had, I was in the middle of a dead end job, or a failed marriage, or or some project, and I couldn't let go of it. And when you ask the question, "What has to die in you for you to move on?" it just brought it to light. And so that's uh, that's where I think uh, for thousands and thousands of years it's probably one of the most um, best advice, the uh, uh, best pieces of advice I could get now one person who I think is never really acknowledged for this, but used it constantly was Steve jobs. And if you read Steve jobs, quotes on death, he's actually, uh, resounding what I'm reading in ancient texts. And so, you know, he found that death is probably one of the most amazing tools for growth and performance. So (laughs) I think, you know, I think it's true. And so I try to die a lot, I try to let, sometimes it's hard. I'm not good at it, but you know, I, at least if I can identify something I'm attached to, then it, it opens it up a little bit more for me to move forward and learn something different.
1: I love that because when you are growing and changing, there is a part of you that has to die. Mm -hmm. But but I don't know that even me, my, you know, self-proclaimed self-help junkie, I don't consider, I don't think of it in that way that something is dying. In right. order to let the new in. So yeah. I love that.
0: Yeah. I yeah. love that. It so t- that. <laughs> tell
1: me a little bit more because I studied, I don't know if you've ever heard of Course in Miracles. Yes. I studied that for many, 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 many years. And it's something that just makes sense to me. Yeah. And it's all about the ego and how, yeah. you know, our ego. So, so can you just, I, and this is maybe more for me and hopefully the audience will want to hear more about this too, but what? how can you explain that a little bit further that the ego is something good for us? Like, can you just explain that methodology?
0: The, the, um, the, the area that I find is um, when in genetic warfare, selfish animals stay alive longer and that's how nature works. And so selfishness Um, if you have the ability to stay alive longer than the unselfish, you have more capacity to replicate your data. And that's of course what it's about. See, Darwin was misquoted. It wasn't about survival of the species. Since 99% of the species on this planet are are now extinct, that didn't really work out very well. (laughs) <laughs> what he meant was survival of the information in the species. So genetic warfare is about replicating information. And so it's, it's splitting of cells or it's in gender based species, it's sex or, you know, that kind of thing helps us, but, but selfishness seems to be that pattern. And so there's been a lot of research on, on that pattern. The problem is, is now when you want to organize humans, it can get in the way. So that's why leaders have to look at how do we override this biological condition? And that's where we start coming up with intuition, compelling sagas from the Vikings, you know, how to structure companies and cultures differently. And and so it opened up a whole new world for us. But, um, and when executive teams know what this means and they see it and they understand it, then they realize that the journey they're on is, Hey, we have to die for a higher cause. And if we lose that, we're going to lose speed. We're going to lose decisiveness. Because in the becoming samurai online course uh, that I released during COVID, because I was stuck in the studio, I had to do something. Um, the it leads us once we achieve that death. It leads us to two things we rarely train on, and that's bravery and honor.
1: Hmm.
0: And if you have more bravery and honor in your life you can do a lot more, you can achieve a lot more, you can make a difference a lot more. And so the whole point of the course, it's like, I don't know, six or seven modules around, you know, what are your fears, how to die properly, and then how to now move forward as samurai into the world with more bravery and honor.
1: Mm, I love that. I love that so much. Becoming samurai. That's really cool. So where can people find out about that course?
0: website. I have a website called Saga leadership. There's that Viking term again, Saga, S-A-G-A and then the word leadership.com. And we're trying to get everything on that one site so that everybody can, you know, go into wherever, whatever area they like.
1: Fantastic. That's great. Is there anything else that you want to share with the audience that we didn't talk about today?
0: No, God, there's somewhere how many hours left do we have for a- <laughs> I always
1: joke. I'm not Joe Rogan. So no, we don't have a few hours here. Sorry.
0: <laughs> no. I would just say, uh, you know, keep learning, um, keep dying on those things that are holding you back and uh keep doing great things.
1: Oh, I love it. I love that. What has to die before you move on? That's amazing. Love that. Yeah. Such a pleasure having you on today. Thank you so much, and I wish you all the continued success. Thank you. You What an interesting interview, and I hope that you heard something that you can apply to your life right now. So, thank you so much for joining me today. As always, I hope that you and your family are safe and healthy, and that your lives are filled with peace joy, and happiness. Take care, everyone.